All right. Well, uh, good evening. And uh, I am not Andrew. I am uh, Jack. I am the uh, student pastor here. So uh, Andrew is out in California doing some church business. So uh, y'all have me for entertainment here this evening. So a uh, couple things I want to note to you guys as I get ready to, to um, do this message that God has put on my heart. First and foremost, um, if you don't know me, one of the things I want you to understand is I can't see too well. And so there's a couple things that are going to be a little bit different for me personally tonight as I preach to you guys. One is I'm going to actually keep shoes on. I usually don't preach with shoes on because usually um, so I don't fall off the stage, I'll be barefooted up here if you've ever been here and seen that. So it's kind of for, uh, you know, personal preservation. Uh, so, that you know, um, next one is this is I may get really close so for the first time, like I'm like, man, there's actually people out there. So my ADD may go crazy and be like, hey, there's, there's people, you know. And so also some of you guys must have heard that I'm speaking and y'all didn't sit in the front rows, which is good because this is definitely spit zone right here. I am known to chunk some, son. So um, we were about to bring out some uh, raincoats and umbrellas and things like that. So uh, some of y'all, luckily it rained. It may rain in here too. So if I get too close, you say, whoa, back up, fat boy, get back, you know. So again, there may be stuff that uh, comes out. So, and again, and I do drink the nectar of God's Dr. Pepper, so there may be a time I need to clear my throat for that. So, But I want to continue this series um, speaking with you guys about the next generation. And so uh, with this um, message, it was really cool just the way that it worked out because uh, Andrew was like, hey, I want you to preach in this series anyway because of your background. See, I've worked with teenagers for the last 25 years of my life. Um, five of those years was preparing me for youth ministry and that God um, put me through the tortures of working at the Department of Juvenile Justice. So I worked in kitty prison getting ready to handle y'all's children um, and here's the deal, man. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this before, but this is, this is some truth. The only difference between some of y'all, I'm like, man, really? Did y'all did what? Because kids will tell me what they did, right? And so it's, you know, so your kids are just a little bit smarter and they hadn't got caught yet. But we've talked about 25 years of working in children and youth ministry. And so um, talking about the next generation, I know the next generation very, very well. And there's some things that I have seen over the years, some things that hopefully I can part to you guys to let you know a little bit about the next generation. Because here's the deal, man, and, and we can be totally honest, your parents always talk bad about your generation. Am I right? I know I'm right. Because every generation does that, right? It's like, oh, man, this generation, they're, they're not going to be anything. You know, if the, the older generation always thinks less of the younger generation. It's like, man, this, this, this is just going to go, you know, to hell in a handbasket, right? And so, but here's what I want to let you guys know, man. Um, as I get up here and I speak to you guys and, and, and looking at the younger generation is this, it's going to be okay, it's going to be really okay, and I'm going to give you some examples of that. But I want to work with you guys and basically say, hey, how do you get through the next generation? How do you get through to them, right? And so we're going to look at four distinct things I think we need to do to get through to the next generation. But I want to kind of continue what Andrew was talking about last week. Um, if you remember in your scriptures, he was talking about this journey that the Israelite nation took, kind of road to get to the promised land, but it ended up being a 40-year journey. And so we're going to kind of stop and plant right there. 
at this point and, and, and continuing on talking about these things, you know, because what I want you guys to see in, in what happens, we're going to look at the life of a guy named Joshua. Um, Joshua, we're going to kind of focus on him for a little bit, him and a buddy of his that, that were named Caleb. But Caleb and Joshua first came on the scenes as the Israelite nation was leaving um, slavery from the Egyptians and they were leaving slavery. And if you guys remember, again, some of y'all remember the Ten Commandments when Charlton Heston threw his hands up and the waters parted, right? Some of y'all know the scene I'm talking about. And they walked through. And they were a part of that. And so they walked through um, the Red Sea being parted. They saw God just do amazing thing after amazing thing. In fact, that whole generation that we're talking about there saw God do more than any other generation that's walked the face of this earth. Man, they saw the 10 plagues. They sat here and saw God's hand in, in, in things as giving them manna, parting those waters, and continuing to sustain the Israelite people and looking and watching over them the whole entire time. And so you've got these people that are continuing to see this, but one thing they continue to do too is they continue to rebel Egypt and they're going to this promised land that's called Canaan. What we continue to see again is them turning their back, rebelling, rebelling, rebelling. And finally, they get to the foothills of this promised land. And they decide that, you know what, it's time to let's take 12 spies and we're going to take these 12 spies and they're going to go into this promised land and they're going to kind of check it out, right? And so Moses brings these 12 people and says, hey, here, there's 12 tribes of Israel. By the way, there's actually 13 tribes of Israel. But 12 tribes actually got land one um, tribe did not, the Levites. Levites were the priests and the pastors and the preachers and things of that sort. So they didn't get land, but they were told, hey, you take care of these guys as they go through and they preach um, what God is telling them to preach. And so they didn't necessarily get land, but they were told in these other 12 tribes, take care of these guys. And so we're talking about the 12 tribes who got land or who were about to get land. And so um, he gathers them all in he says, hey, you guys, for the next 40 days, I want you to go out and I want you to check this land out. Tell us what you see in this land. And so they go out, they check some things out, and here's what you see um, starting in um, Numbers chapter 13 is as these guys are coming back from checking the land out, what they bring is good news right from the get-go. Man, they've got their bags full of said that this, this land here was flowing with milk and honey. Man, it's even better than that. Man, it's got all kind of, look at all this stuff that it has. And so they'd packed this stuff and brought it back and said, man, we want to show you that this land is amazing. This land is so much better than, than you know what, that you were even speaking of that God is truly going to bless us with this amazing stuff. And then the generation says, but... But we can't go in there and we can't do this. And you got a set of 10 that are on this side of the fence and they're saying, listen, we can't do it. There's no way that we can take it. And you have two guys step up here, a guy named Joshua and a guy named Caleb that says, yeah, we can. Look what it says here in Numbers chapter um, 13, verses 30. It says this. It says, then Caleb silenced the people because what? They were fussing. There's no way we can take it. It's like, hey, stop for just a minute. He says, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, 
We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Again, Caleb speaking from experience. Caleb and Joshua would say, dude, do you remember what God has done for us? Do you remember how the seas parted? Do you remember how he was feeding us daily? Do you remember the 10 plagues and he just kept showing us miraculous sign after miraculous? But you have this older generation. Look what they said. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And what happens is, is they decide as a nation that, you know what, because these 10 are saying we can't take this, they decide not to go in. And then an 11-day journey turned into a 40-year trial because they didn't listen. See, what we have over here, and scholars believe, is Caleb and Joshua were probably young teenagers. And so they're speaking, and they're saying, hey, just listen Listen to what we have to say. Listen to what we've seen. I know we're young, but what do we do? We see these guys over here and it's like, man, these young punks don't know what they're talking about. But listen to what I want to show you these scriptures here too. This is Romans chapter 12, verse three. It says this, it says, for the grace, for the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves highly, more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed each of you. What I want to say is this, man. The first point I want to make, when you are trying to get through to a student, when you're trying to get through a talk, listen, Brian Austin is back here. I saw him, and he has heard me say this for years because he works with me on Wednesday night. Talk to a student, not at them. Talk to a student, not at them. At them. Too many times what happens is we as adults, we kind of want to elevate ourselves here and put students down here. And so we kind of want to talk down at them and say, you just don't know. And you know, and, and but what happens is when we do that, we're not even listening to a kid. We're not even listening to a student. Why? Because we're continually talking at them instead of to them. One of the huge things I do when I am counseling a student, man, I don't hoard over them like this. I sit right beside them. And I said, let's talk. What's going on? Talk to them, not at them. It's huge. It makes a huge difference. Because here's the thing, man, as you build that relationship with a student, and I said this too, you build a relationship with one of these students, man, they will be by your sides, man, and they will storm the gates of hell with you. Man, if they, if they will have your back on anything, when you start building that relationship, but the relationship has to start when we start talking to them. These guys also have a lot to offer, right? Let me show you some examples. Have a phone issue. You have a phone issue? Listen, don't run that computer, same thing, right? Hey, listen, I'm having this computer problem. You know, give it, to, I'm telling, they'll fix it like that. And, and you know what's funny is they start looking down on you. It's like, man, how are you so stupid? You know, how do you not know this? Right? I'm telling you, there's some knowledge, there's some education that even our students can give to us, that they know a lot more about some things than we do. Here's the only difference between us and them is probably when we were born, right? And what I mean by that is this, as students and as we've grown into adults, we're just a little bit wiser because Why? Because we made some really dumb mistakes along the way. I know I have. I know I made a lot of them. 
And I know that's one of the things that I'm trying to impart into my 15-year-old son right now. It's like, son, I don't want you to stumble, and I don't want you to fall, and I don't want you to go through the same trials I did, right? Because as parents and adults, we should want better for the younger generation than we had it. I know I do. So again, talk to them, not at them, is my first big point. And again, and we need to listen to them. The next thing is this, Proverbs 22, six says this. It says, and some of you guys may know this, it says, train up a child in the way they should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. As we talk to this student, as we talk to the next generation, then as statistics say, that only 50% of those who call themselves Christians, 50% will ever share their faith. And here's a staggering statistic for you. It says the next generation, the younger generation right now, says only 4% of them will ever come to Christ. And that should be absolutely our, how we all act. 4% because of the things that are being thrown at them. Because of the other things that you know what that are going on in life. And here's the thing, and this is a huge one. It's because we, the older generation, sometimes we just kind of want to shove those guys aside. And maybe, just maybe, we don't, and I don't know where your mindset is, but we're too busy maybe to share the gospel with someone. Because here's what I'll let you know. If Satan can't have your heart, what he's going to do is he's going to make you busy. And if he makes you busy with stuff and you always got stuff going on, guess what happens? You don't have time to share. And so what I'm letting you know this is, man, as you're training that child, also train yourself that, hey, I'm going to look for opportunities to share with the next generation. In fact, share with anybody this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ. And I always say this to my students too. They don't so much need to hear about them as we start to treat the younger generation instead of always looking at the generation and saying, man, listen, when I see a bunch of teenagers, right, they got to be doing something bad over there. I wasn't going to share... Yeah, I'll do it. Um, some of y'all know it's like, oh, here he goes. He's going to go on a tangent. I am going to go on a tangent real quick. Two weeks ago, if you guys are on Facebook, I know a lot of you guys are on Facebook. There was this thing, the whole truly what's going on in Kershaw County or Lugoff or whatever it is. There was this post put out that said, hey, you know what? There's eight students walking down the road. There's eight teenagers walking down the road, and they must be doing something bad. Maybe you were one of those guys that, you know what, that posted something there. It's like, hey, yeah, they must be definitely doing something bad. It was a little bit later at night. You know, and, and, and I, saw, I, I saw some of the stuff, I saw some of the feeds that came down from it, and it was like, hey, you know what, you know, where are the parents, where are they in this situation? Here's the thing, son, watch who you throw stones at, because one of those kids were mine. And let me tell you what was going on. I, at any time, have a house full of students at my house, and they will spend the night, they will stay the night with us. My wife had already gone to bed. They had already eaten everything in the entire house because that's what teenage boys do. And so they said, hey, dad, can we walk to Young's? I said, absolutely, you can walk to Young's. Gave them some money. They walked to Young's. They were going to get something to drink, some chips. They got stopped along the way by a guy, right? It's, they got to be doing something wrong because it's that late at night. And, my thing, and, and I remember seeing one of the posts from a lady, and she says, where are their parents at this time? What kind of parents let them out at this time? Here's my question to y'all is, how many of y'all, when you were a teenager, you were past 11 o'clock out, right? Exactly. 
And for some of y'all, it's like, yeah, and we were doing bad. But listen, a lot of times you weren't. You weren't. But what happens here is we don't want to give them the benefit of doubt. And that's exactly how students look at us. They look at us because it's one of those like, man, they're always yelling at us. They're never talking to us. They're talking at us. And in fact, they never even listen to us. Man, if you want to get through to the next generation, talk to them and start to train them as you start to build that relationship. And then what happens is, man, you see incredible things and you see incredible potential in these guys. And I remember seeing this thing about my son and it really kind of got personal, right? And I'm like, and my son comes, you talking about heartbreaking? My son saw this stuff coming up and he came and talked to me Sunday afternoon. He says, dad, am I gonna get in any trouble? And I mean, he was worried. And my son already worried, has anxiety problems. And I told him, I said, son, were you doing anything wrong? He says, no. I said, well, then you ain't got nothing to worry about. I said, what did the cop say when he came? He just said, go to Young's, you know. I said, right, because he knew you wasn't doing anything wrong, you know. And so what we've got to do is sometimes we can damage them. And so we don't want to do that. We do want to challenge them. We do want to train them. In the book of Deuteronomy, um, we're going to look here for just a second. Moses, again, what has happened is um, uh, they didn't listen to the two teenagers. They listened to the 10 instead of the two in the story. God said, hey, you know what? This generation over here, the older generation, you're not even going into the promised land. And so for the next 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness, And then in the book of Deuteronomy, what happens is this is kind of, um, the book is kind of Moses' farewell address. And what he's doing at this point is he's going through and he's basically teaching the younger generation about God and about, hey, this is how we need, you should do stuff as I start to hand the reins. And what he's going to do is he's going to hand the reins over to Joshua. He said, Joshua, I'm not allowed to go into the promised land. I'm not going to be able to see the promised land. And so, Joshua, you are going to be our new leader. Remember, he's one of the two. He's one of the teenagers. But what has happened is they've trained him up. And so he's ready to take that leadership role in. Why? Because Moses was willing to talk to him along the way, also willing to train him along the way. And this is what he says about the people that he's about to encounter. I love this. In Deuteronomy 31, 6, he's saying, listen, there are people over there. He says, I want you to be strong and I want you to be courageous. Do not fear, um, do not fear or be in dread of them. Talking about the people they're going to go against. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And I love what it says in verse 7 also. And this is when he kind of pulls Joshua up and he's saying, hey, this is going to be your leader. And he tells him the same thing. He says, do not fear. Be courageous. And I want you to understand that your God will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's what he's training him along the way, saying, you know what, we've got a huge God that's got huge power, and you know what, he's got more than power, he's got love for you. And so he goes, and that's what he's pouring into Joshua. That's how he's training him up to do this. Why? Because he's taking the time to spend with the next generation. And so again, he's talking to them, he's training them, and then the next thing we see is we got to start trusting them. And this is a huge one, right? We got to trust them. So when we train, I want to make sure I get this, so when we train the next generation, we must also trust them to make the right decisions. And what happens here as we continue on with this story of Joshua, 
they start to go into the, um, um, they start these other uh, people that are in this region. And it's, it's awesome because they had a, a West Point general that went through and saw how Joshua and how the Israelites went through and started slowly kind of dividing and conquering these different countries that were inside the promised land that God had for them. And they said that, you know, the military strategy would be the same in which we would have taught our cadets. Because they were dividing, they were conquering. They were dividing, they were conquering. And all of a sudden, it's, they're almost done. They've almost about whooped all the promised land. And here's what happens. There's a couple more um, little spots they've got to take care of. But here's what we see happen. Um, Joshua decides, says, hey, there's three tribes over here. And here's the thing, man. We can kind of take the rest of this. You three tribes you, the, over here, go ahead and go to the other side of the Jordan like, we've, we're going to take this side of the Jordan, but as we're distributing the land, I want you guys to go on this side of the Jordan, and this land is for you. And he starts to separate the land. He says, hey, for you, this land's going to be blah, 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 blah. And for you, this land's going to be blah, 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 blah. And in this last people, man, you're going to have the Jordan and maybe a little bit of this side. And so what happens is this. Those people go over, and they start building monuments. And they start building their cities, and then what happens is Joshua and the other tribes of Israel hear this. We've kind of left these guys alone to do their thing. And they seem to be turning their back on God and building these monuments to like the Amorite gods, the one of the people that they conquered, and some of these other gods. And look what happens here. Um, they go and they confront these three tribes. Verse Joshua twenty two twenty seven 27 says this. says, but... To be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the, saint, uh, the service of the Lord. He goes on, he says, um, in his presence with our burnt offerings and our sacrifices and our peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. Basically what's going on there is these people are saying, whoa, 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 we built this monument to God. See, over here, they weren't too trusting of these guys. Thought they'd turn their back. But what was going on is this. They were building a monument. God said, dude, we built this monument so that our children, plus your children, will see this and say, man, listen, they still follow God. Why? Because they were trained up, and now they're saying, just trust us. And as you trust us, man, trust that we're going to make the right decision. Um, remember years ago, um, my son is going to kill me because I keep telling stories about him, but you know, sometimes he just does some dumb stuff and he also does some funny stuff. And so when he was real little, we lived in Camden and I don't know if any of you guys have a house like this, but we had the, uh, the vents that were in the floor and he figured out at a very young age, he could put his little fingers in those vents and he could pull the vent up. And so one day, um, as we're kind of doing all this kind of training, right, when you got a two-year-old, you're trying to potty train, you're trying to kind of teach them to walk because they kind of still have that Frankenstein walk thing kind of going, you know, and so you're trying to do that. And um, one day, Jack's missing his wallet. I was like, where's my wallet? And so I go up to my son and I get down on his level. I said, Andrew, have you seen daddy's wallet? 
And he's like, what? Then he got this, right? Because kids will get this real quick. You got daddy's money? He's like, oh, yeah. He walks me and he says, the hole. And I'm like, the hole? He walks me over to the vent where it's been pulled up. And he says, hole. My wallet was down in the hole. And so I'm like, how am I going to get that out? So I had to reach down and, and what was like all my cards had fell out, um, all my cash had fell out, so I'm like pulling this stuff out. Dude, I'm pulling cars out, you know, like Lunchables are still in there, you know, it's like all this kind of stuff. I'm like, what have you stuffed down in the hole, son? You know, and so I'm like, okay, okay, cool. So we're in the potty training stage. I find Andrew running around in his, all his glory, right? And I'm like, son, where's your diaper? The hole? I'm like, what? I walk over. He had taken his diaper off and it was laying there, but he had pottied in the hole. Yeah, yeah. Let that one sink in for a while. That's going to smell good after a while, right? But, but here's what I want to let you guys know is this, is as we talk to them, as we train them, and as we trust them, we also need to understand they're going to stumble and fall. They're going to, stump, they're going to do wrong stuff. And it's not our jobs as the older generation to go and kick them while they're down. It's our job to treat them like Jesus would treat us, which is to go right alongside of them, love them, help them, and maybe even carry them through that point in life in which they're going through. See, that's our job as the older generation. Again, talk to them, train them, trust them, but when they make the bad call, pick them up, pray for them. And I don't mean some little token prayer like God is good, God is great, let us thank you for the food. I mean generally, authentically, with your heart, pray for our younger generation because this generation has got more thrown in it than any other generation in the history of this world. I, I sit here and I think, man, would I like to be a teenager? Yeah, I would like for my body not to hurt like at night. Y'all know what I mean, you know, but I don't know if I would want to go through the temptations and the things that these kids are prone to when they're going through right now. Man, this stuff on social media with the bullying, you know, this stuff that's going on in their schools, man, with the school shootings and things like that that we kind of see all the time. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, all this stuff that's thrown at these guys. See, because here's a huge part is this. Teenagers, we want to, we want them to act like adults, but we rarely want to treat them like adults. Again, we want them to act like adults, but we don't want to treat them like adults. Man, we've got some amazing students in here, in our, in our church. You know, people that we can look at, students that we can look at and be proud and say, hey, you know what? Next generation does have a chance. The next generation is going to be incredible. But what has to happen is, again, as we go, we got to talk to them. We got to train them. We got to trust. 24. Joshua, again, pops up on the scene. And again, Joshua was a constant theme in this message because we're seeing how he's growing. He's growing. He went as a teenager, and we're just seeing him where he took over. And then we're seeing his leadership. And then I love what happens here in 24 because what's happening is the Israelite nation is starting to backslide, they're starting to look at other gods. 
And they're starting to, you know what, turn their back on God. And I love what Joshua says here, man. He kind of grabs all the Israelites up. And look what he says here. This is Joshua 24, verse 15. Some of you guys will know this verse because I'm going to let you know if this don't fire you up, man, we need to make sure you, you got God, right? Because these verses are amazing. I've got this written in my house on one of the walls. And it says this, and it says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day, um, whom you will serve. He's talking about, hey, will you serve God or are you gonna serve these small Gs, the small gods? He says, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river of the um, river are the gods of the Amorites in whose land we dwell now. And here it is. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what we want to do. That's what we want the grad, these teenagers, these what, that there's no ifs, ands, or buts, that your house, no matter what's going on, will always serve the Lord. See, I love when Joshua first took over reigns, and we see this in Joshua 3 and 4. Some of you guys may know this story. We saw the parting of another body of water. And what happens in these verses is Joshua's taking them um, into the promised land for the very first time. He's getting them ready to go in there. And what happens is God tells them, say, listen, I don't want you to go around the Jordan because we can go around the Jordan. I don't want you to go around the Jordan. I want you to come up through here because I'm about to show this generation who they're following. And so they walk up. And again, remember the Levites, the 13th tribe? They were in charge of what was the Ark of the Covenant where God dwelled. It says they grabbed the Ark of the Covenant and said that the Jordan River at this time was beyond flood stage. So the waters are raging. It's craziness going on. And so they grab the Ark of the Covenant. They step into the water, and what happens? It stops. And the waters part. And this whole generation walks through the Jordan going to the promised land. And what I see happen here, and I love this, is Joshua says, listen, this isn't enough. Because apparently, you know what? The last generation didn't learn from this. I want you to grab a stone. And I want you to grab it from the the riverbed here uh, in the Jordan. And I want you to carry it up here. And what we're going to do is we're going to stack these stones right here. Because what's going to happen is this. Is generations to come are going to see these 12 stones and it's going to be a memorial. It's going to be a legacy that we're going to leave that, you know what, that, hey, remember what God did here? That's our job as the next generation. What's your legacy? We've got some incredible teenagers in here right now. Man, I've got uh, student ministry on Wednesday nights that is pumping and thumping, and it's awesome because God is blessing it, but it doesn't happen unless I have youth leaders. And let me tell you a little bit about my youth leaders over the years. Um, started with adults coming in and really pouring into these students. See, after I do a message on Wednesday nights, they actually go to small groups and they go a little bit more in depth with the message. And so they go in depth where it would be 12th grade girls in one room, 12th grade boys in another room, and it's so on and so on from 6th grade up to 12th grade. And so they go into these rooms, but that doesn't happen unless I have adults that will come in there and feed into these younger ones. And feed wisdom into them. Talk to them. Train them and then trust them to do the right thing. 
And the biggest thing is they've been praying for them. But here's what we've seen over the years in coming back wanting to serve. So now I have college kids and adults in just about every one of my groups where the college kid can relate to the younger guys that they're trying to pour into. Because again, we can only relate so much, right? But we're starting to see that where it's coming back around. I've got a young lady named Gracie Hill. Gracie Hill, every Sunday night, outside of Wednesday, every Sunday night, she comes in here at six o'clock and she feeds back into high school students, boys and girls, and she leads a small group. Again, this is a college girl. And then you know what happens at 4.30 here, and I love this? I got two high school young ladies, Hannah Tomley and Allison Sine. They come in here at 4.30, and you know what they're doing? They're high schoolers. They're pouring into the middle schoolers. Isn't that amazing? And it goes on. I've got middle schoolers now. I got Sarah Beth Rhodes who comes now on Sunday morning, and you know what she does? She serves over here as a middle school, pouring into the younger ones. See, that's what we're called to do. We're called to pour into them. Again, talk to them, train them, trust them, and the biggest thing is let's pray for them. So my challenge is to you guys is this. Pray. Pray, what should your job be for the next generation? Because here's the deal. I know this. As someone who follows Jesus, knowing that statistics say only 4% of the younger generation, well, I'm going to try to do my part. My question to you is, will you? Let's pray. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you know what, man? We are called to be disciples who make disciples. You command us, Jesus, you know what, to go into Judea and to Samaria and to Jerusalem and to the other ends of the world and proclaim this gospel to each and every person we come in contact with. And again, maybe it's not by the words we speak, but it's by our actions. And so, Lord, I pray right now, man, that you, you just break our hearts for this younger generation. That instead of looking down on them, that you know what, maybe we look and say, man, look at the potential they have. Man, I see great things in this younger generation. I see kids that I look at that I've poured into over the years, and I think, man, I want, me, I'm a pastor, I want faith like theirs. Man, and this is the younger generation. Man, we've got some kids that are gonna be our next Pauls and our next Timothys, maybe our next Billy Grahams, but here's what has to happen, man. We have to be willing to step forward and come along these young people and to love on them, to talk to them, to train them, and to trust them. And you know what? When they fall down, we pick them up and then we pray over them. And so, Lord, I pray that you make us a people that move. That you make us a people, Father, that aren't. You know what? That we will sit here and we will say, Lord, man, we'll follow you wherever you lead us, whoever it is you want us to go to. Father, I pray it's to our younger generation. And so, Lord, give us feet that move. Give us hearts for these young people, Lord. And I pray, Father, you give give them ears to hear the message that you so long and want them to hear. And that's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we go into a time of prayer and response, I just pray, Lord, at this time, man, these guys pray for the generation below them and then ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? Jesus, you're amazing, you're awesome, and I pray that you just bless this time of worship. Amen.